You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. I own Nashville Acting Studio and am occasionally caught on Belmont's campus teaching some acting for camera classes or master classes. Um, I am a teacher of actors. I am an on-set coach, and I also work to um, help prep actors for auditions as well as mentoring and helping with goal setting for actors. I am currently working on getting my studio back in person, or at least a hybrid version of that. We have been on Zoom for an entire year because of the pandemic, and we have just moved into a new studio in the Filmhouse Production Studios building, so we're really excited about that. Caroline LaCourier, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We are very happy to have you here as well. You come... Highly recommended. And so I'll start this off by getting the audience a little bit more familiar with you than you just made them by reading from your bio. Of course, this is the Internet. So if anything is wrong, as I always say, or anything's incorrect, feel free to jump in after I get done reading and say, hey, let me correct one or two things here. But I'll read from it. Caroline was the acting for camera professor in Belmont University's theater department from 2004 to 2012, creating the Acting for Camera class syllabus and course content, as well as teaching all-level film studies. In 2008, she started a private acting studio. The National Acting Studio has ongoing classes where serious actors concentrate on working on their craft. The main techniques focused on are script analysis, camera appropriateness, and emotional preparation. Caroline has coached actors at the studio and privately, as well as on television and film sets. She has coached actors that have appeared in The Social Network, In Time, The Collection, Flight Plan, The Identical, CSI New York, Nashville, Banshee, The Wire, Prison Break, Burn Notice, Pair of Kings, Still the King, Sleepy Hollow, Vampire Diaries, The Originals, Ant-Man, and many, many more. And I'd like to start just by asking, how did you get into all of this? What first inspired you to pursue acting in its related creative fields? <laughs> okay, that, that list of, that's so funny. Well, anyway, the list of the things that I've coached actors that are on feels like very 2000, I don't know, 12 to, to 2015. We should have. Mm-hmm at some point, but, um, how did I get started? Well, I, oh, it's sort of a long winding road. I'll try to, I'll try to make this as succinct as possible. Um, cause I'm not sure it's that interesting of, of a windy road, but I have always been deeply interested in storytelling from, uh, books, novels, uh, nonfiction to film television. Um, 
And I think it just took me a really long time to figure out what I wanted to do in relation to storytelling. I think as a, you know, it's why I got an English major, or English writing major in college. And it's why when I was in grad school for something unrelated, I, I got my master's in women's studies and African-American studies at Ohio State. But it's why I focused on the writing of black and white women essayists and and I think it's also why as a young person, it felt like at that time, this was you know 30 years ago, 25 years ago, it felt like my only option was to be an actor if I wanted to be a storyteller or a writer. Like, hmm. and, and both of those are pretty giant, um, I don't know, mountains to climb. And so I decided that acting would be the not easier of the two, but the more approachable, I don't, which makes no sense, but I was, you know, like 22. And so I moved to Los Angeles where I took acting classes. The classes were the thing that I was obsessed with. And I booked work as an actor, luckily, because at that, at that point, I think I needed to figure out by doing it that I didn't want to do it. Like, and I did. So when I'd be on set and I, you know, these would be, you know, like a national commercial that every actor in the world would have wanted to book. Cause back then you could make so much money booking these things and there was so much visibility from them, some of them. And I would, I, would, I was in my trailer on that set and I was counting the minutes until I thought we might wrap for the day so that I could go have dinner and, you know, drinks with some friends of mine. And I thought that's not the attitude probably that a real actor would have on a set like this. They'd be out talking to people. Like I, I just, in that moment, sort of had that kind of come to Jesus with myself. Like I would rather be in my acting class than on a set. Hmm. And so that led me to go, well, then what am I doing in Los Angeles? I loved LA, but I, but I didn't, it, it was a city. It didn't make sense for me. All of my family and friends are in the Southeast. And so I moved back to Nashville where I'm from and was trying to regroup to figure out what to do next. I hadn't had the, that moment of realizing that because I loved being in class that I was meant to be a teacher. Although I had taught when I was in grad school and loved it, but that felt like a very separate thing. Mm. Um, and so my idea was to save some money and figure out where I wanted to move in the country or maybe out of the country. and. I ended up getting a job at Belmont in the theater department, which was very surprising to me because my master's was not in theater. Um, but they were willing to take a chance on someone that A, had a master's, and B, because I had been at a reputable studio in LA for so many years or four years, that they were willing to take a chance on me teaching, which feels, when I look back on it, feels like a really meaningful moment. I think I was young enough that it felt like, oh, sure. I taught at Ohio State. I should, of course, they'll hire me at Belmont, but really that doesn't, that they don't equate. And so I'm thankful for Paul Gattrell, who was the head of the department at that time for mm -hmm. taking that, that chance and hiring me. And initially I was just teaching like a 101 film, intro to film studies type class, but they didn't have an acting for camera class. And I couldn't believe it. They had something that was a workshop, like every couple of years, they'd offer a two hour credit and called it something else. But I was like, let's turn this into a regular course, like a three hour you know, credit course 
and we're going to call it acting for Cameron. So I worked with the department and with Paul to develop that content. At the same time, the university was, um, the department was uh, beginning their uh, BFA program. Before that, it had only been a, uh, just a regular bachelor's. And mm-hmm. so I helped develop that content uh, with Paul. We worked together really closely over that that year of getting all of that together. I mean, he did the lion's share of the work, but um, we had to develop a very specific course content for four levels of acting for the camera. And so all of that happened. And, and, and I was teaching these acting for camera classes a few a semester. We had so much student interest in them, not just from theater students, but the, students across the campus um, were able to sign up if I gave them, uh, like allow, allowed them to come to the class. And um, from there, I had Belmont students that had approached me about teaching continuing that that had graduated that wanted to keep taking the classes and you know at Belmont to do that to pay to it's exorbitant the the cost um to audit sort of a class when you're not and so they were like we're not going to pay to do that I wasn't really allowed to have people sitting in on my Belmont classes that weren't students according to the head of the department and so I started teaching these this little class outside of the university. I mean, the first time we met in Belmont's green room, there were six students and they were all <laughs> Belmont students or graduates. And just to let the audience in on this a little bit, Belmont University is a small college, but but powerful college uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's typically known for music because the way it's positioned here in Nashville is it is basically butted up against Music Row. And so the idea is that you go to Belmont, graduate, and then get a job on Music Row working in either gospel or country music, obviously, sometimes country pop or whatever you want to do. But uh, that's what that's what Belmont is for. So, so starting a film program there uh, is a cool move and a different move. Yeah, I mean, Belmont, you know, I mean, I, I forget that this audience is not local. But, you know, you've got a uh, national and maybe international audience. Yes, Belmont has, is kind of that behemoth university in every that every major town or major city has that is trying to get bigger and bigger and eating up city blocks, um, mm-hmm. taking over. It took over. Our, we had a film school in Nashville called Watkins. Um, yeah. <laughs> They bought Watkins. They also bought our design school that was in a, a suburb of, of Nashville called O'More. And so now Belmont has um, a film. I, I, I don't know what they call themselves, but it's like a filmmaking degree that you can get mm-hmm. uh, there. But yes, it is largely known uh, for music. And, and in the theater department, honestly, all those years was sort of we were in the college of visual and performing arts. Um, but man, the music school just got all the money and all the, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was sort of like this afterthought. And then they built, a, you know, a big theater, a proscenium theater for the department, which was a um, kind of an astounding thing. But there, you know, but Belmont's a great school. It's one of those, you know, private schools. It's pretty expensive. Um, liberal arts college, but also a, a religious school. It's a Baptist school. Exactly. And I hope I don't take us off track too much, but you mentioned that you studied, what did you say you studied African American women? And uh, what, what was the name, what was the name of uh, the, uh, your grad study? Yeah. So we'll circle back to that one. I know it's, it's uh, strange in this industry that we're in to hear that. Um, 
So I got my graduate degree in the women's studies department, but Ohio State had an African-American studies department also. And so my, my master's was sort of split between the two departments. It's sort of like if you, in, in undergrad, you can have a major and a minor. In the master's, at the master's level, that's really not entirely possible. But, um, but yeah, so my degree, my studies and, and my thesis were divided between those two departments. So I, my master's thesis was about the different ways that black women and white women essayists discuss social change in their and revolution in their work. So what, what made you uh, go in that direction? Where was the, what was the inflection point for you where, where you, that became a, a serious interest of yours? Well, I grew up in Franklin, Tennessee and um, like sort of feel on a cellular level, the history of the region that I live in. And mm-hmm. as, um, I mean, I guess part of it was reading Toni Morrison. Oh, um, yeah. oh yeah. As an undergrad, you know, as an English major, some of Tony reading Toni Morrison and, um, uh, and Gloria Naylor and thinking about the stories they were telling and how I, it, it was a whole, I really, I went to graduate school. I mean, the, to, it was to, is to, was to figure it out, like to figure out what, like to figure out what this place is that I'm living where I'm in my public high school in a relatively affluent suburb of Nashville, why the black kids sat at their own area in the cafeteria and there was not really intermingling there. Like the one Jewish kid could be on the soccer team and friends with the white kid, but and so could the one, the one Latino kid, but like there wasn't crossover between the white students and the black students. And I had a, a friend, a black friend of mine that was in my Spanish class and his mother cleaned my, my parents' house. And that felt not, he was never strange about it. I was never strange about it, but looking back, I thought like, that's just such a weird dynamic and I think I went to graduate school to try to untangle all of that. And of course it's, <laughs> I, I maybe made some efforts, but I, it's still stuff. I, I mean, I think about these things all the time. Um, still, it's still very important to me, like uh, gender and race in, you know, when at Belmont, one of the classes I was able to, they have this program uh, It's their core curriculum and they're, it's called a junior cornerstone level class and all juniors in the university have to take one and they can take one from any department but you're able to create whatever you want in terms of class content, as long as it abides by a few particular things. Mm. So I was, I created a class called, uh, it was a, basically it was a race and, uh, gender and sexuality advanced film studies class. And we read these cool books and we thought about, so this is like an, an occupation of, of mine that, um, Meaning, not I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm occupied by thoughts of that. And it, it, it back for graduate school, it was just um, it was in it was sort of in history and in writing, and now it's largely in film and television. The stories that we tell. Yeah, it's it's interesting because once you get a piece of history in you, and you mm-hmm. come to understand a thing that you were never taught, mm-hmm. it's uh, it stays with you for life and the question then becomes, what are you going to do with that information? How are you going to use it to help other people or 
to hurt other people or to have personal gain or to give to others or both, or like, what are you going to do? So yeah, I was just curious about that. It's a, it's such a fascinating story. And, you know, I could have an entire separate conversation with you about the dichotomy that exists around and, and the sort of, um, sort of strange conflict that, that exists in a lot of towns like Franklin yeah. across Tennessee. But you know, Franklin's a unique one because, you know, Williamson County, um, is, is where Franklin is. And it's, it's one of the wealthiest counties in the country. And, um, it is really held up by a group called the Daughters of the Confederacy. <laughs> and, and, so, and, so, and so, you know, you go to their town square and you see the civil rights, or civil rights, the civil war. Dreams. Uh, statue. And yeah. as a black person, you, you don't know exactly how to feel or how you fit into that because you might not necessarily get treated that way. But, but what is, what's beneath the surface there? So, yeah. Very interesting, and thank you for that. I, I also want to touch on your time in LA a little bit. I know you talked about it, but I'm curious, you, you because you went there and you found success, like you, yeah. which so many people go to LA and they don't find success. It's the and you've probably seen the story as an acting coach over and over and over again. Oh yeah. So, how did you find a mentor? Like, who was your mentor, or who had the greatest impact on your personal development while you were there? Oh God, that's such an interesting question because I would have really loved a mentor. I think I might've figured things out more quickly, but I think what happens to a lot of, of actors uh, or people maybe in, in all walks of life, but actors in particular is that you get a little bit from this person and a little bit from that person and a little bit from this other person. And you're trying to put it all together. You know, I, in some ways I would say my acting coach, but we didn't have a very close personal relationship. You know what I mean? Um, So, uh, and maybe some of the students that I met there, but really I found help from a bunch of different people along the way. Like I got my agent um, because I was talking to one of the teachers at the studio where I studied and, and the teacher wasn't necessarily willing to give me a referral to an agent, but I had done the artist way. And I was like, I've got to ask like it back when you're young and you're an actor or creative. And I work, I deal with this with my actors all the time. The actors at my studio is it's really hard to ask people for things. And I'm at an age now and can look at it and go, Oh my God, it, it's people want to help people. And the people that are, that don't want to help are nasty people that you don't want to be involved with anyway. But I like, like many artists, I found it very hard to ask people for things that I wanted. So I had done the artist way and I'd gotten some courage up to talk to this teacher after <laughs> class one day. And she was like, well, I, you know, I'm not, I can't basically, I can't give you a referral. I still don't know what that means, like unwilling or unable, but a guy was walking by an actor was walking by that worked all the time. And she said, Hey, Jesse, can you believe that Caroline doesn't have an agent? And he was like, no, that's crazy. And he hooked me up with his commercial agent. Um, who ended up being a very good commercial agent for me. But I went in and they were like, you don't have your SAG card. We can't sign you. What was Jesse thinking referring you? And I was mm. like, if I get my, my SAG eligibility or my SAG, you know, and joining you, will you sign me? And they said, yes. And so then it was my, I don't know, you know, my dad also went out. Uh, I have some family kind of distantly um, distant cousins that live in LA and Pasadena and Arcadia. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my dad went out and played in a golf tournament with my sort of like uncle aged cousin and was paired with the head of television at Paramount um, in, as, in, as the, as his foursome, this was, you know, before I went. And so I also, when I first got to LA, had these meetings with people that my dad had gotten me this meeting with this man whose name I can't remember now. He was very nice, but I was so, I like had no credits. I had, I wasn't eligible. I mean, I, I, I was, I wasn't eligible for the union. I, I think this, the head of television at Paramount didn't know what to do with me. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> he can't, I didn't have an, I hadn't taken an acting class. I like, so he referred me, I, I sort of went to met with a bunch of people from his referral. Well, you need to, you should talk to this person. She, you know, met the head of casting for the CW. It was just a weird thing where all of that led me to the acting studio that I went to. And so I think m- most of, if, of what I think about like mentoring, especially me as a teacher came in the, in my initial days when I started teaching acting came from that studio. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating what can happen when you start to connect and leverage your network. And you seem like you have so much courage and you had so much courage young and you were academically focused and you were willing to learn and be open. You're almost like a, an Ayn Rand character that doesn't read Ayn Rand. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really fascinating. I don't, your personality. I'm not sure if that's a compliment, but, um, I, 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 don't I think just, it is. I meant it that way. So even if it <laughs> isn't, uh, it is. So I'll, I'll take it that way. Um, I, uh, I'm not sure about the courage part. I, I understand why it sound it sort of sounds like that because of the things that I've told you, but I think as an artist, I was very, I, I don't know. I've always you know, a, let me say this. A friend of mine who's a student did, we do these speaker series events at, at, the, at the studio. So they used to be in person when someone would come through town that was of note, you know, an actor that was working on a show that somehow I knew or somebody at the studio, and we'd bring them in and they would do a little talk, sort of like this, but um, at, but for just for the actors at my studio. And since we went online during the pandemic, we've had amazing guests and we've done them more frequently because the guests can log on from anywhere. But one of them that we did with, I think somebody that you've had on your podcast, um, Alan Powell. Oh yeah. Okay. So Alan is one of, it was a longtime student. He's a current student, but he, um, is a dear friend of mine and, uh, he came and did a, so you want to make your own, you want to write your own project. And he, as you know, just his, the film that he wrote is out on Netflix. It just came out this past weekend. A week away. And we, uh, we republished his interview. Oh, perfect. Um, Okay. Yeah. And so for in honor of that, to help promote that and and help him and Kaylee Bailey in any way we can. Oh, good. That's wonderful. I mean, I, yes, that is, that is wonderful. I think I've streamed it probably a hundred times. My son and I just (laughs) just started again. It's it's number, it's number four on Netflix. Last time I checked, that's, it's so impressive. I'm pretty sure that's solely because of my efforts, but um, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the thing that he said, he was. I, this story is better told by him, of course. And uh, but that he was somewhere. I'm terrible about details, but he was somewhere. It's some informal thing. Like what we're going to imagine, it's like around a bonfire, the, someone's house, and uh, he's asked this huge producer. And this is and this was many years ago for Alan. It said, "What's the one thing that you think people have that 
that sort of make it in this industry as producers or as actors or whatever. And the guy said tenacity. Mm -hmm. Hands down, no other word would describe it. It was tenacity. And he told that story to uh, the night of the speaker series. And I thought like, that's it. Like that is something I don't have that. Well, I think I maybe have that about what I want, but it took me a while to figure out what I wanted. But I think that actors, creatives, the ones that are going to survive and thrive in this industry, it is about tenacity, even though it might mask itself in different forms for creatives. Yeah, I was going to say that because I read the book, Who is Michael Ovitz? And Mm. I liked it. Mm. But the word tenacity is one word for the entire book. Mm. Everything he did was because he was not going to be stopped. Yeah. And then at the same time, I think about is tenacity the way that Michael Ovitz leveraged it, a relic of the old movie business. And, and do we have to take tenacity and put it in a different envelope? <laughs> do we have to deliver it in a different way now because we're in a, we're in an era kindness, if you will. Oh, don't we wish we were in an area like this? I I mean, I I feel like. Well, kindness. What I mean by that is if you're caught not being kind, Mm -hmm. you can lose your career potentially, which is which is new. That is new. It's an interesting playing field these days. I mean, having been in this industry for a really long time and watching it in the southeast in particular, the last, you know, I don't know, 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting what's happened. Um, well, and that's, I mean, that's maybe a whole other conversation, but, but to get to your tenacity question, I think it's really interesting because I think you can have an actor, let's say, a sh- you know, a lot of actors are shy Um, and, and, and and often can be awkward. I think in the best kind of ways, I always think of actors as weird artists as weirdos. And I love people that are weird. And so exhibit A is my good friend, Chris Winty. Oh, yes. Chris was a student for many years. Yes. He's a perfect example of this. Although I don't know that I would call him shy, but he's definitely a weirdo. No, he's a weirdo. Yeah. 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 But but he's an unabashed. (laughs) Exactly. He's a full frontal weirdo. That's exactly right. And, and, and so I feel like the idea of tenacity, let's, let's put it in the body of one of my, let's say a 30 year old student at my studio, a a female who is shy, but lovely and a very talented actor. And her version of tenacity will look different, but I think that the word could just as easily be applied if she pursues it in the way that sort of old school way that you're talking about. And which is, I think the way Alan is doing it, he's going that like, he makes all the phone calls. He sends all the emails. He's always encouraging his fellow students and not just in the Sunday night class, but he'll come and sit in on a lot of the classes, always encouraging them to do that. And it's a tough industry. I mean, you talk to people all the time that are in this industry. I, it's a very, it's not like writing where it feels like if you write a really, really, really good book, it will, or, or even script, it will find its way. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. Yeah. You can have an actor 
who is really, really, really good, like at a comparable level to what I was just talking about with the, with the writing, and they won't be found. It doesn't work like that all the time. And so it's tough that way. Yeah, I think the talent sometimes, well, I actually had a question around that too. Uh, it's a, I want to touch on, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a flag in that and come back to it. But I want to stay on Alan for a second because you actually flew to Ireland to coach him on Quantico. <laughs> Is that normal? Yeah. And, and, why, and why did you do that? Um, I wish that was more normal than it is. I think that that's hopefully where I'm headed and but I'm, but no, at the time I was just his coach, you know what I mean? And so he had never had an acting class. I don't think when he came to the studio, but he had a few credits under his belt. Um, and so we, our relationship developed as a teacher student and then, um, even before Ireland, I would say turned into really friends. And so he had booked Quantico and he would call me when he had a big moment in an episode. Uh, You know, his character was a series regular for the, I think third season of Quantico. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, because it's an action show, a lot of his work was, he knew what to do and, you know, you know, not a ton of uh, depth to it. But occasionally they'd write some real stuff for him. Um, and he would call and we'd do, you know, a kind of FaceTime session, digging into the material. And um, I think because he came home, uh, home to Nashville. Um, they they broke in between uh, New York and then where they were going to resume in Ireland for the last couple, maybe three episodes. And he came home and we were talking and I was like, Ireland, that sounds amazing. He's like, why don't you come? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, well, I can't, I mean, my, <laughs> Denton, I've got my, my son at the time was in kindergarten. He's like, bring him. And I was like, Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I, um, I think we'll never turn down international travel. <laughs> so I went, I mean, I can't say that what I did for most of the time was coaching at all. Um, but we, we were on set. It was really wonderful. Um, that was a really fantastic experience. And, and actually, Alan is the one, uh, the, the last time pre-pandemic that I was, did an on-set coaching. And, um, they hired me to be there for the entire uh, shoot, which was great because I was working initially with the leads. And I didn't know uh, before they started shooting, I didn't know if they, mm-hmm. they would bring me on, but they did. And that was a referral from Alan to a production company in Atlanta that was making this very, very elaborate pitch um, film video. Uh, but I love doing that. I love being on set. Um, and and look, I, I know you don't want to hear it, but I think it's courageous <laughs> to pick up your kid in kindergarten and go to Ireland to teach Alan Powell and to coach him through Quantico and to have the courage to say yes to an adventure that is on most people's bucket list. Uh, I have all these Irish friends, Caroline, and they are like, <laughs> oh God, I would love to go to Ireland. And like, okay, oh, no. it, it You really might not ever get there. <laughs> so, but you had the courage to pick up and go and say yes um, instead of give a hundred reasons why you why you couldn't. Um, 
he referred you to this production in Atlanta. And that's kind of how life works, right? Like you right. develop these relationships, you do good by one person, good people beget good people mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But at some point the rubber meets the road in terms of you have to deliver something of value to someone else that maybe you don't know, like you said, through a referral, you talked about the actor's way. There's so many methods out there. There's so many different books. What would you say differentiates you, your approach to coaching and and teaching acting from other approaches? Do people ever curse on this podcast? All the time, especially me. Okay. I'm not going to right now, but I just had the impulse to, and I thought maybe I shouldn't, but, um, <laughs> that's such a good question. I, I don't know if I've given that really much thought. Um, one of the thing, main things is that I don't, I have ideas about pathways for actors to use to get better, but I don't subscribe to any particular, you know, like Meisner or method or, mm-hmm. you know, I do, I, I've worked with actors for so long that I, I have sort of a treasure trove of things that, that I, that I, maybe, maybe this is the thing. I think that I, without, this is a question that's hard not to feel like I'm bragging, um, which I don't like to, to do. Um, but I think that I have a deep, an intuitive, uh, I think my approach to acting is deeply intuitive. And so because I don't limit myself with what, how I teach, I mean, not to say that when you come to the studio and different things are happening all the time, I, I have an, a, a way we do scene work on camera. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's the foundation, but just how I talk to actors and what we use to get them to different places is that's the treasure trove part. And I think because of the intuitive part of the way that I coach actors, it's luck. It's luckily I am not just a Meisner or a method play where I'm, I only have a certain amount of tools that I can, can, can give them or can offer them. And so, so I think there's that part of it. I think the other thing is that I figured out, I think before most people in the Southeast, I won't say this about LA or New York, but in the Southeast that actors can't just be trained in a vacuum of scene study as though it's like a theater, right. you know, like old school way that acting studios set up their classes to where it's like chairs and then yeah, you're on stage as chairs. Stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I had students that pushed me here. I will say nothing has happened for me. I don't think that has not been because I had, people that loved students that loved me or people that loved me pushing me towards that, the, whatever the thing is. I, I think that about like my entire life, I have relied not, not only on the kindness of strangers, which I do frequently, but on the kindness of people who are in my life. Um, I had students like Alan who were pushing me to go more and more on camera with the classes. And so now, I mean, for the last handful of years, that's what we do. And so I think that is unique that you're not going to work in my class just at getting better at the craft of it as like being an actor without also getting better at the medium of camera that it, the of filmmaking and TV work that it goes through. Yeah. I want to go through some of these things you've talked about. Now, I think we have a pretty good idea of what script analysis is right. and, and maybe we can talk about its importance. I think, though this audience sort of 
can understand. Yeah, actors need to be able to go through the script, and there, there could be some technique to doing that that you can talk to. But the one that sticks out to me is camera appropriateness. What is camera appropriateness? Well, and it's you know at its most basic level, it's understanding what a close up is, what a two shot is, you know, like and how to act within that frame. Um, so you're talking like eye lines and oh yeah, all the stuff hitting marks, you know, uh, again appropriate acting like facial kind of body movement for the frame. I, I was just a director friend of mine was just talking about. Um, how they had an actor on set that didn't seem to understand that when you're in a wide shot, you've got to kind of do more. So they had to cut away from this actor in wide every time, which just meant they really couldn't use any of her wide. You can't really cut away. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so yeah, so it's teaching actors um, how to, one of the impetuses for this was like bringing cameras in a more full way to the studio was because I didn't want an actor that studied with me to get on set and be like, Oh my God, <laughs> what, I don't know what to do, you know, or, or, or seem really green because with acting, you know, you can get an agent and not have many credits and get hired for something. It's pretty crazy. Like you can yeah. get the beginning of your path and all of a sudden you're working on, you know, it's maybe just like a one day thing, but on stranger things. Right. And so, you're, you've got to know what to do. And, and, you know, there's this thing that actors always talk about how it's like more nerve wracking. It's harder in class than it is anywhere else. It's, it's harder in class than it is to audition. It's harder in class than it is to be on set. And I I've thought about that many uh, for a long time, why that is, I have some thoughts about that, but, but, but if they can do the things that I'm asking them to do in class in terms of camera appropriateness, then I know they'll be able to do it on set. And I've had feedback like that. Like, oh my gosh, I got to set and I really felt like nothing, I wasn't having to learn from from zero. You know, I've, I knew what, I, what they were asking me to do. I made friends with the DP. So I knew my frame. And Yeah, exactly. Because if someone were to ask me, what is the tone? What is the spirit on a film set? It really comes down to, the, the currency is speed of knowledge and, and speed of learning. So everybody wants to know how fast you can do something. That's, <laughs> like, no, that's exactly right. And so there's a lot of pressure. It's like, and, and because everyone's going so fast, if you don't know the first time you kind of get dismissed a little bit. You're like, Oh, that's, no, that's exactly right. I had a, a former student who's now a producer kind of casting director for a couple of big musical artist. So she does their videos and she called me the other day and maybe she texted again, I'm bad with details. She got in touch with me and said, I just want to say, I just want you to hear me say this, that one of your Sunday night students, I cast her and, and we needed what, what we needed quickly end of day, whatever it was. And she was like, and she delivered. And I knew it was because I knew that she was able to do what she was able to do because of what y'all are doing in class and Mm -hmm. you should know that she came out and sort of worked it like a champ and everyone on set adores her. And now that student has created, um, you know, we talked about networking earlier. I like to call it widening of circles, like widening your circle because actors, artists get like freaked out by the idea of networking. Mm -hmm. And so my Sunday night student just widened her circle to everybody on that set who went, wow, she was great. 
like to work with her again. Right. I love that. That So that widening of the circle, mm-hmm. that emotional preparation you talk about, yeah. how do you handle that? How do you handle situations in which an actor exposes their personal vulnerabilities? You talked about actors being shy or being weirdos. Yeah. How do you deal with that where they're exposing their personal vulnerabilities, trying to perform an emotionally evoking scene? You know, I hope that I, I, I hope gracefully. Um, but I think one of the things that I can't help is I love, I love my, the, the actors that are at my, the actors that are in my classes because there is so much vulnerability and there is so much, I love them. I mean, I, I finish every class saying, I love y'all. I'll see you next week. And I'm, I mean it. And they know I mean it. Um, and I think that there's that, that there's an undercurrent at the studio of love. And then I tell my actors all the time that I feel privileged to walk this path with them. I can't do it for them. And when they're, you know, cutting themselves open and exposing all of their, you know, sadness or, you know, or trauma or whatever it is, I'm, I just want them to feel that I'm right there next to them. And, you know, often I'm crying with them. I, I'm not particular, I'm, I'm, I'm not closed off in any way, um, emotionally. And so, you know, what I refuse to do, you know, that whiplash, like way of coaching that old school, like brow beating. Yep. Like I'll get you there because I will fucking force you there to these emotional places. (laughs) Exactly. And you'll end up a pile, a puddle on the floor, like Amelie when she turns into the puddle. Um, And I, you know, there was a, there was an aspect of that to the studio that I went to in LA and, and it's very impressive to see that, right? It's very, that kind of coaching is very impressive in person, although it's traumatizing in the end, that's what it is. It's emotional terrorism, I think. And so I think I started when I, a million years ago, when I started teaching the acting for camera class at Belmont, I think that's, I was trying to do that and it just doesn't suit me at all. I'm a lover, (laughs) you know? And, um, and so I will never force an actor into a space that they're not ready for. And listen, some actors wish I would. I can't, I could, I have the tools to be able to do that. But my thought all, all along, and I think in the end they, they appreciate this, is that they're going, I'm going to work with them so that they learn to do this on their own, so that they don't need me every time. It's not like you can browbeat somebody and then they have an ability at some point later to do it without the browbeating. I think it's a, it encourages a feeling of dependency on those kinds of coaches, those kinds of teachers. Yeah. And I agree with you. This is, and I mentioned this earlier in the conversation that you came so highly recommended. I think everyone really does love you and <laughs> that you coach. And, 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 and I, I know you have a couple of mantras. We live in the now only love <laughs> Uh, these are things that I think probably connect <laughs> with Listen, with your with your with your class. 
we live in the now has nothing to do with it. I love that it sounds like it's for acting. It's literally because I can't remember. Lindsay Shope and I, she teaches for me. She's a wonderful human and a yep, love Lindsay. <laughs> just as fine of an actor. She and I both have these memories that are like bad detail wise. So, and Melinda Eisenagel, who uh, owns the Avenue um, agency, yep. uh, the three of us were at lunch one day and we are all, this was many years ago. We are all like that, like can't remember things. And Melinda was like, I just say I live in the now. And Lindsay and I were like, oh, that is, we are using that <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think, I think that's how it was presented to me was that you, you, you don't need, you're very good at keeping secrets because you can't remember that you were told them. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse James was just telling me something recently. He's my ex-husband. We're very good friends, good co-parents. Um, well, I say, we're, I hope we're good co-parents. Yeah, we Jesse friends. James. Yeah. He, 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 whenever he says something to me, he, this happened just the other day. He's like, don't tell him. I'm like, do you know me? Like, <laughs> well, I won't remember that you said this. Like, it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's so, to, to illustrate this point, you famously told one of your acting students, friend of the podcast, two-time guest, friend of mine, Matt Williams, after a subpar performance in class that he his assignment for the weekend was to go fall in love. And yeah. he actually did <laughs> fall in love. Um, I don't know if this is social conditioning that you put on him and therefore he's you know, found the love of his life because you socially conditioned him to do that. But was that the intent? Was was the intent for you to uh, for him to go out and actually meet someone and, and start dating them? Or w were you being funny? Were you being loving? <laughs> and, and what was missing from from Matt's performance that day that made you say to him, hey, your assignment is to go fall in love because you've clearly never been in love before well, through your acting? That is so I remember that. I like, I remember that moment, which we were just talking about how I don't remember anything. I remember that because, well, but well, I mean, I think, I think I remember it basically because he went out and did it. Like I, 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 I said it very, I, when I say things like that, I'm very serious. I, I definitely wasn't trying to be funny. I'm rarely trying to be funny, um, <laughs> which is the bane of my existence. I wish I was funnier or I wish I got, well, it doesn't matter, but um, no. So I, I very much meant it. And, and what can happen, uh, romantic love or I should say romantic love relationship is, is one of the most difficult things for actors, um, across the board. Uh, and so I don't remember what Matt was working on now. This also, I don't want to Im imply that you have to do something to be able to play it as an actor. Obviously we have these giant imaginations um, and I, I respect that as a, you know, using an imagination as a technique, but I don't think it's the only one kind of back to my hodgepodge of my treasure chest. Like, and I think it, there are certain things that's difficult to achieve a fullness with in terms of your acting without having lived it. Now that doesn't mean if you're going to play a heroin addict, I think you need to go out and do heroin there. That goes in the imagination category and in the research category. But being in love and being in relationship with someone, there's it, Matt had never done it. He he'd never been in love, right. so it wasn't like in his history he had loved and lost or whatever. <laughs> he'd never experienced it, and so I was like, well, for, you know, there are certain things that you can't just go out and do. Like you can't just go out and have a baby, so you know what parenting feels like, right? Yeah. But Matt That's is right. an attractive, charismatic, you know, lovely human and so like get yourself out in the world and go take a fucking risk yeah and that's the thing about matt 
um, for those, he has a new film out on Amazon. If people want to go watch it that are listening, it's called These Streets We Haunt. And you can see Matt and, and all of his handsomeness on in that movie. But the thing about him is he's a good looking guy who doesn't want you to know that. Yeah. He's a good looking guy who, who doesn't want you to bring it up. Like he knows that you know it, but please don't bring it up because that will embarrass him. Yeah. And then so I could see why it would be difficult for him to fully leverage that appeal. Whereas we talked about Alan Powell earlier, he's mm-hmm. completely comfortable mm-hmm. leveraging all of his tools. Oh yeah. So yeah. physique, singing voice, yeah. good looks, all that stuff. So, so there's a believability there. So it's, it's so funny that uh, you were able to pull that out of him and just realize, wait, I don't think this guy, how is this possible? He's never been in love. Uh, go out there and do that. And then he went and did it. And uh, got married, and I know, got the rest married. is history. You know, the, the, but that's a, the thing is, I think that when I s- say things like that, actors know how serious I am. You know, mm-hmm. a, a million years ago, one of my Belmont students, she's actually one of the actors that I've trained that has had the most success. Um, and she was one of my first, like, I think she was in my very first acting for camera class at Belmont. She was a musical theater major. And, uh, this is after I'd started the studio and I can remember, I think I was still in my little bit of my brow beating days, but also through love. And uh, I was saying to her, like, she was, she was always very cool. You know what I mean? When one of the very cool kids and, yeah. and I was like, you can be cool or you can, you know, get on the floor and open yourself up emotionally. I was like, you are not going to make it in this business if you can't be vulnerable. And she called me like the, a year later and said, I just booked this role in a huge, the lead in a huge horror franchise. And she said, the the director took me out at the callback and said, we all really want to hire you, but you've got to nail this. And it was a, it was a scene for the callback where she had to be kind of huddled up on the floor crying in in fear and in horror at what was happening. Um, And so she called me to go, you were right. And I did it. And I booked this job. It's amazing. Yeah. Staying. That's, that's incredible. Staying on that theme though. You, this is Nashville, Mm -hmm. about 90 people a day move here. Now it's a a bona fide it city. You're not going to have any shortage of people who want to perform and work with you. So what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making? Oh, we can, that's a, that, that's interesting because yeah, Nashville it's it's been pretty crazy population wise. But um, we can maybe also apply this to just anyone who is thinking about acting but hasn't taken any steps yet. Um, uh, I don't want this to seem self serving in any way. Uh, I think you would. I, I you know I talked to Cookie who owns or, or Kim who owns the McRae agency about this a lot. Um, that it's a mistake to get an agent when you don't have any training and you don't know, and you don't really know anyone. Um, now if you're moving from LA or Chicago and you've worked a ton, this isn't, this doesn't apply. Um, but what I think can happen to actors is that they, they might get an, an agent before they know what they're doing. And then casting directors have long memories Mm. And so they try to put together a self tape. They don't know what a self tape looks like, you know, and 
uh, the agent sends it in and the casting director goes, this person is so green, I can't even, and they don't request them anymore. Um, I love the idea of moving to a new town, whether it's Nashville, anywhere, and finding your people. And I think the easiest way to do that, this is why it was, I mentioned self-serving. The easiest way to do that is to get into a class. Now I don't mean any class because there's, you're going to feel comfortable with a certain teacher and certain people. So you should go check out the classes in the town that you live in and see where you feel like, okay, I'd like to. And of course money doesn't grow on trees. So I get that this isn't an option for every single actor that moves to a new city, but get into a class, meet other actors get some, get some work under your belt in that town and then go get yourself an agent and then start auditioning for all of the projects. If you get a, you know, if you sign with one of the good agencies in town, they're going to rep the entire region. And then man, all of Hollywood is really open to you. One of the questions that I'm dying to ask because it just feels like a, feels like a no brainer in terms of just curiosity to get the inside scoop on the way you think, the way an acting coach thinks. So you spend all day trying to build and grow performers, creatives into great actors. Who do you think is a great actor? Who, who would you like to emulate if you were going like just from a style perspective, your, your favorite performers, your favorite actors, actresses of all time and and maybe what do they do from a technical or a skill standpoint that makes their acting stand apart and just hearing that from an acting coach i, I find fascinating oh okay I'll, i'd love i'd love to answer this on a couple of different levels like because this is an easy one for me because i love performers um there is the like oh my gosh the actors that i think are the most amazing are, are like kate blanchett and daniel day lewis mm. Um, but they're chameleons and they're magicians and most actors are not going to reach that level. Um, most actors aren't chameleons in that way. Um, most actors are, are actors like, um, and, and this is going to sound, well, I hope this doesn't sound negative in any way, cause I don't mean it to be, but like, like, uh, uh, Julia Roberts or, um, Brad, Brad Pitt, uh, where they're going, or Jennifer Aniston, they're going to book things based on who they are and what they bring. Now they can also have a ton of talent. So they're really good at that thing, but they're not going to like Kate Blanchett, you might not recognize from film to film and not many actors can do that. So that's yeah. my kind of top tier level. But then, you know, I love, I, I said, mentioned, I love Brad Pitt. I, I love George Clooney. I think that those two actors, Leonardo DiCaprio, there are those three actors in particular I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio has gotten more respect in the past 10 years, maybe, but I will assign George Clooney scenes or Brad Pitt scenes that seem easy to do in class and they're impossible. <laughs> That's how good those guys are. And they're such movie stars. And I think I miss that. I miss, I miss having movie stars. Um, yeah. Now I also want to give a quick shout out though, to, Jesse James about something in particular um, because obviously we go to the stratosphere with Daniel Day-Lewis. Well, all of those actors I mentioned are sort of stratosphere, but in terms of talent stratosphere with Daniel Day-Lewis and Kate Blanchett and then Hollywood movie star, really fine actors with the other three guys I mentioned. And then on a local level, 
everyone's self-taping, right? Everyone that has an agent is, is self-taping. They're all sending their tapes in and very few people book, which is just the sad state of what being an actor is. Like the, uh, the statistic I've always heard is um, when you're auditioning a lot and you're at the top of your game, you're going to book one out of every 20 auditions, but sometimes that can look like 39 and 40, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so Jesse James showed me his audition for the walking dead. Um, I don't think I, Oh, it's already out. So I think I can talk about it. He was playing an interrogator and when he showed it to me, I, I, through the pandemic, I've been taping him for almost everything, but that he's submitted for, but this one I hadn't. Mm. Um, when he showed it to me, I was, I was like, well, unless they change their mind about race and gender, which can happen these days in this, in this temperature that we're talking about often, they will have to change a role um, just to someone who's not white and not male. But I said, if they don't have to change that, then you will book this. I I cannot imagine anyone being better than what this is. And, and he did book it and you can see him on the the walking dead, I guess two episodes ago, but that, but, that that's the level you have to hit if you want to work in the Southeast. Yeah. I love that. I can't wait to see it. And I'm so glad he got it because I'm a big believer in merit winning out. But I promised the audience I'd come back to something you talked about, because this is kind of apropos to what you just said as well. This is what you have to do in the Southeast to get booked. You can be a really great actor and not be seen. Whereas if you wrote a good book or you wrote a good screenplay, it will find its way. Mm-hmm. What is the balance between if it's just me and you and we pretend no one else is listening, mm-hmm. like a secret between us, what, what is the honest balance between talent and subjectivity and casting? Oh God. It's, so there's so many angles to that one though. Um, because often casting directors don't have, you know, they, they think someone that has a lot of talent and is great is perfect for the role. And then like the producer's cousin books it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yep. so there's that part of it where, you know, um, I think I have seen too many times really talented actors turning in really great tapes that just don't book. And so I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I don't know the answer to your question because I think sometimes they do, right? Like Mm -hmm. Jesse James is an example that I can list a bunch of examples, you know, Chris Wente books stuff, um, you know, Natalie Rafino, Lindsay Shope books stuff. So they, but then I can also name just as many actors that I think have that level of talent that don't book. And I just don't know why I don't know what, what it is. Hmm. I, I wish I could, I wish there was a because if I knew that I could help them and I, that's why I say, that's why I say you can write a great screenplay and it will be found, but you can be a really good, really talented actor with a good agent who gets you auditions and you just might not book anything. And, and you might want, this happened to me with one of, there's a particular actor that I'm thinking of who I will not name because this isn't a good, but, but who I think is one of the most talented and best on camera actors that I've ever coached and 
she's got a great agent who got her a huge audition for a big David Fincher project. I guess I can just go ahead and say it. So it was Mind Hunter. Mm. Um, so it's episodic. So it would have been a series regular. And now I get that she's in the local market. She's not a known quantity. And so that's why I thought she might not have booked it because her auditions were stunningly good. And then I watched the show and I was like, I don't know who this woman is. I looked up her, the woman who booked it. And this is not to take anything away from her, but I looked up her IMDb and I was like, I didn't like her performance as much as I had liked the actor, the student that I'm talking about. And, and so I don't know how she booked that job. I don't know why she booked it over the student. Like that it is a mystery that is, I don't know if it's even answerable. Yeah. It's a matter of taste. I know that I use the word subjectivity, but one thing Nick and I say all the time is the one thing you can't teach someone is taste and good judgment yeah. and yeah. bad taste and bad judgment run rampant in independent film. Oh God. So I always have to smile when we, we get on a call or like someone says, well, what, do, what will you guys bring to the table? <laughs> well, let's, <laughs> let's start with good judgment and good taste. Oh, well, and that's, that's going to take you really far. And yeah, you don't know it yet, but it will. Oh yeah, I love that. That you're that's that's it. Yeah, I. Well, what do you think? Why do you think a, the, a, an actor can have all the talent in the world and not get cast? I think it has to do with the people in the room, their taste. What are they looking for? What did they imagine? I think it's like reading a book and then watching a movie. The characters, no matter how good they're performing, never match or, and can never be as good as the characters you formed in your own head that you saw when you were reading the book and now mm. they're on screen, it's like, uh, that's not how so-and-so looks. And yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Well, I had this person in my head. They have brown hair. <laughs> but, right. So I think the casting director, the producers, the director, they know what they're looking for. They had an idea in their head already and the closer and, but, you as the performer can never know what's really in their head, what they're really looking for. Yeah. So even if you're performing great, it's like, mm, but that's not, that's not it. That's not the person I had in my head. Yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough business. And especially when you get a bunch of um, creatives and specifically actors who are su gen generally very sensitive <laughs> humans and, it's hard. That's hard. Yeah, it, it is. And then, of course, there's always the good old boy system where. And there is a place. It's funny because people hate good old boy systems and, and they should philosophically. But there is a place for them. There is a benefit to being the person who, like you said, was tenacious and has a contact. And there are people that we know where their entire leverage is the people that they know. Yeah. And they protect it like it's. Fort Knox gold or gold in Fort Knox. So, which there is no gold in Fort Knox anymore, but yeah. <laughs> so they, so they tell us, but, um, but that's, that's, that's part of it. That's such an interesting take. And I, I appreciate you, you sharing that. Um, you've been so generous with your time. I just have a few more questions. And, mm -hmm. and this one is one I, I was, could not wait to ask if, if you had a month because you, well, let me preface it because you talked about assigning people scenes that George Clooney and Brad Pitt did that are just impossible. Right. Yeah. So if you had one month to teach someone 
to be a competent actor for a very big role, what would be the first three things you would teach them? Oh my gosh. Um, this is someone that's net new, just walked off the street. Okay. Well, first I would try to teach them how to continue to be a human once the cameras are on. Try. It's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we talk about auditions, like self-tapes, like did I achieve full humanhood? Like, was I a full human? I think I got to 80%. There's just a weird thing that happens to even good actors. Um, so yeah, to, to make sure that they stay a human being when they're reading somebody else's words on camera. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I would do is to try to open them up to their own emotional life. Interesting. Um, so that they have access, but that's very difficult. I mean, it'd be very difficult to do that in a month. I, we could at least get them to where they knew it was there and had a beginning, the beginnings of an idea of how to use it. Um, and then I would try to teach them how to look at a script. That's what our script analysis is all about is in the end, it's storytelling. And your job is to tell the story in the way that the script is asking you to, to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would teach them sort of the intellectual side of it, which is approaching storytelling with precision um, through analysis. I love that. So one is stay human once the camera turns on. That's so much harder than you think. And oh, number two, <laughs> so, hard. <laughs> so hard. Number two is opening them up to emotional, uh, to their own emotions. Yeah. And number three is script analysis. I, I just watched the special features for Tenet and all the actors said they had to read, everyone said they had to read the script five, six, seven, eight times just so they could understand what they're supposed to be doing because it was such a complex story. And then on top of that, physically demanding because you had to do everything forward and then shoot it again going backwards. So uh, I highly recommend the special features disc <laughs> on the Blu-ray of, of Tenet. And, and you'll find out how much work Chris Nolan put into that. Um, but you this hear has been so actors, much um, like Daniel Kaluuya, who's like a really lovely. I mean, he's not even a new talent anymore, but the. Yeah. Um, and when he was doing the, the rounds talking about, uh, get out, he, he, he said that he read that script over a hundred times and, and you hear actors say that and they're doing that to get it sort of in the blood, like at a cellular, a cellular level. Um, <clears throat> and, and part of that is to, 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 again, to go to point one, trying to be a, a full human, trying to maintain yep. full humanness is that if you're. The death of a performance, and this is like a foundational death of performance, is that we can see the writing. Oh, yeah. You know, that's that'll kill it. Mm-hmm. If you could only teach porn actors that, if you're just like, <laughs> I can see that someone wrote that for you. I can see that you're not really enjoying this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding, not kidding. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you've been so much fun. This has been a great conversation. Uh, so much for me, uh, hopefully it has been for you. I have really enjoyed it. Learned so, so much. This has been super long overdue. I wanted to, uh, you're a teacher and you were drawn to teaching. And, uh, I want to end with just a, a thought about that. Uh, your mom, Missy was a teacher and spent her life teaching, um, can you talk about her impact on you and, and 
was that somehow consciously or subconsciously pulling you to teach? That is a very unexpected development in terms of the question. Um, my mother taught listening skills. Mm. She would go to uh, businesses and conduct listening labs to teach you know them how to listen better, which um, putting the pieces together with you know a lot of acting, it sounds cliche, but it's true. A lot of acting is just listening on, listening on a deep level. Um, mm. So she, uh, well, let me just say this. My mother is an influence on every bit of who I am, but this is an odd little story. I'll, I'll share it anyway. When I mentioned that I came back from LA and I wasn't sure about where I wanted to live and I wasn't really sure about what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to be an actor anymore. Mm-hmm. And my mom uh, was in the, she was, in a, she was a Christian and she had worked at the Episcopal church and in, in their education, like at every Episcopal church in the greater Nashville and Williamson County area at some point doing their Christian education curriculum. And so at this point she was, had retired from that and she was in this Bible study group, which I'm not, that's not my jam, but the Episcopalians are pretty liberal in terms of Christianity. And so I, um, but she, but this was a group that she went to every Tuesday morning and she found so much joy in it. And there was a woman, her name was Martha. She is, was very old at the time. And this was, you know, almost 20 years ago and, or 15 years ago. And, um, she, this is going to sound crazy, but she, see, she, and, I, and this is a Christian woman who's saying that she saw auras around people. And my mom wanted me to come in and meet Martha to see if she could help me know what to do next. Mm. Uh, and I thought, you know, I, you know, I'm sort of into that stuff. It sounds great, but these are people who aren't into it. And Martha was very embarrassed by this. She, she'd been shamed for it as a child. So she didn't mention it to many people. And it told my mom this because people would just tell my mom things. My mom, my mom could get like anybody to tell the, her, to tell her their life story. And so I go in and I'm sitting there and I don't want to like bring it up because Martha was embarrassed about it. And she, you know, at this time, at this point was like 80 years old and, uh, my mom said, Martha, you know, Caroline is home and she's been trying to figure out what to do next. And she's, you know, applied to a bunch of different things. Uh, do you think that any of the places that she's applied are, are right without mentioning what I'd applied to? I don't even remember what I, all I'd, I'd, who I'd applied to, but she's, but Martha said, um, your path is and always has been as a teacher. Hmm. And I was like, oh, huh? So I said, so I sent an application to Belmont. Do you, does that feel? And she's like, that's absolutely the right thing for you to be doing. And, and that's so, incredible. Yeah. And so I think it, it really is pretty crazy. And I think that my mom sort of taught me how to live. And then she gave me that gift. Wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing that story and, and going there and, uh, it's inspiring. I know that I'm going to have energy for the rest of the day uh, after that one. Can you tell everybody where they can get to know you a little better as well on the Internet, on social media? Is there any websites, any work, any place we can see your work? Oh, OK. Yes. So we 
Nashville Acting Studio has a social media presence. I wish I could say I had anything to do with it, but the lovely Lindsay Shope handles our social media, but you can find us on, I think Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as uh, under Nashville Acting Studio. Um, we also have a taping service uh, that uh, you can find on our website, uh, as well as on the social media platforms. I think that's Tape at NAS. Um, and then our website is nashvilleactingstudio.com. I teach three classes a week. I'm going to be teaching a class in Belmont at the fall, but I don't think that really counts um, in terms of the studio. And uh, Lindsay T also teaches three classes a week. So you can find us teaching pretty much any day and you can find information about the studio online on our website. I love it. If you're thinking about becoming an actor, if you want to be in this business, Caroline is an absolute professional. She's been doing it for a very long time at a very high level. And because of the pandemic, there is a good likelihood you can learn from her and team just via Zoom. So you don't even have to be in Nashville or in the Southeast, perhaps to even reach out to her and learn from her wisdom and talent and creativity. This has been awesome. Last question, better coach, Bear Bryant or Nick Saban? unanswerable question. Are you kidding me? And for the audience, uh, Caroline is a unabashed, uh, Alabama fangirl. Oh, listen, it's, it's in the blood. I had no choice and I am, I can't, couldn't be more proud. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> that is so funny. Well, thank you. Um, so much for having me. I, 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 it's very nice to meet you and I'm such a fan of what y'all are doing in terms of um, the film community here. Uh, but yes, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Absolutely. Same here. Maybe I should have asked who would win in a fist fight, Bear Bryant or Nick Saban. <laughs> oh, Bear Bryant. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they're tough, tough guys, but I feel like Bear Bryant is old school. Yeah, yeah Bear Bryant might bite you. Yeah, I mean, he might, he might not stop. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love it. I love it, Caroline. <laughs> You're the best. Thank you so much. Best of luck in all that you do. I want you to have a wonderful 2021 and uh, hopefully we'll get to chance, uh, get a chance to talk soon. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And all the same to you. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed myself. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at flamingyourheart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. 
And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.